so working with children as you know what are you going to have you're going to have a toy box in there but you have to have two parts to your toy box because the under threes are going to have the big toys and you're going to be able to separate out the over three toys so we always have the toy box we're going to need to be able to measure them and weigh them easily so it might be if you've you know if you've got a baby you're using baby scales or you have adult scales so you weigh mum then you weigh mum holding the baby and then you take off the difference and that's the weight of your baby remembering that nappies that are wet weigh so we have to be careful that the baby doesn't have a full nappy when it's weighed because we want the difference hello and welcome mentoring with geraldine is a bite-sized practitioner podcast for naturopaths nutritionists herbalists and practitioners this podcast responds directly to your needs the needs of the practicing natural therapist With interviews, herbal discussions, something business and something clinical each week, you'll get the variety you need and enjoy to stay motivated in practice. Hello everyone and welcome to Mentoring with Geraldine and the Bite Size Podcast. How are you? Today I thought I'd talk to you about working with kids in practice so and how I got into it and just some quick suggestions. So I thought, well, I initially ought to set the scene so you know where I'm coming from and what my background is. So I trained to be a nurse in the UK a very long time ago. I trained in Cardiff in Wales. And then when I qualified, I moved to Nottingham. So I moved initially to oral and maxillofacial surgery. So it was oncology, um, but the surgical work. And I worked in outpatients for a few months and then I went on to the wards. So I think a few months, I say a few months, about six months. So after I'd been qualified about a year and a half out on the wards, I just had this one shift where I was on the ward and there was just myself and my auxiliary nurse who wasn't from the ward, so I didn't know where anything was. I had a bank nurse and um, she had the auxiliary who knew where everything was. It seemed to be the only way to share things. And I had 33 extremely ill patients and lots of them scheduled for theatre. So I gave her the bays that were just scheduling for theatre because that seemed the right and reasonable thing to do. Um, And I had all the medical outliers from the other wards that were too full. So on that ward, we had our surgical people who'd had surgery, the oral surgery, so they mostly had um, tracheotomies and a lot of suctioning, um, it was really serious, nasty stuff. They were um, going off to theatre, they were having radiation, all sorts of things was going on with them. And then we had medical outliers and we happened to have three ex- severe pancreatitis. We had um, a cardiac, I can't remember overly what was wrong with her, it was a long time ago, but she died on the shift. All sorts of, it was just the shift from hell and there was no one there. Um, one lady had come off specialing overnight which meant she had a nurse every half an hour and um, and then she was my patient and I was meant to get in there every half an hour and suction her so the poor woman felt like she was drowning while I was trying to deal with all of the other things that had to be dealt with on the unit so it was absolute hell day and I went home and I looked at my husband or then boyfriend and said to him I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't want to work like this. It's not safe. 
um, I think I'm going to go back to running restaurants, which is what I used to do. I was an openings manager. I would go around and open restaurants and run restaurants. So I was in business prior to nursing. And I said, you know what, I think I'm going to go back and do that. Although there's nights and weekends and that, just like there is in this, the money's better. Um, the money's terrible in nursing. And I'm not expected to save lives that, you know, when I don't have the support and everything else. So I don't think I can do this anymore. And, um, and he looked at me and of course I'd only been out a year. You know, I'd had my training and there I was out a year, expected to run a ward, expected to do everything, which is the old style. You went out and you were in charge. There were no graduate programs, for example, and um, which is what they have in Australia. They have a graduate program for new graduates to learn all the different um, wards and how they all work in the different departments and give them that support that they need before they're put in charge. But anyway, so... Hubby looked at me and he said, you know what, there's signs up all around the hospital, they want neonatal nurses and full training is given. So I was like, okay, let's do something else. You know, I like kids, I like babies, why not? So I applied, it was a bit of a hell interview um, with multiple people around a desk, sitting in a way that I had to keep turning my head. It was, you know, constructed to be a difficult interview. But I made it through, got the job and um, and then full training and at the end of it I had a dissertation at the end of it um, once I'd finished the training that which came a year after I'd, a year and a half after I'd started but at the end of it they were like oh that's your master's you just have to convert it and I was like at this a year and a half after I'd qualified and I was like oh no I'm off to I'm off to Australia actually um, but prior to that so I'd worked um so it's still very different to Australia. We still didn't have enough nurses. There'd be, um, you know, four babies to a nurse in intensive care here in Australia. It's a one-to-one as it is in New Zealand. And um, so I remember going onto the ward um, having, I had one baby um, on nitric oxide and jet ventilation with, you know, TPN, the full, everything happening. I um, and, and it would be structured in a way that in your room of four you would have one seriously ill baby who needed everything doing but everything's very structured you do things at certain times you know you'd feed at a certain time you turn babies you adjust settings you check settings you write things down at a certain time so that the baby next to them who's on regular ventilation who's um you know feeding and There's, you know, they've all got lines going into them. They've all got drugs going into them. And these drug measures are like 0.001 of a mil. Things like these are tiny, tiny drug amounts that you're giving to these tiny babies. And then in that room, there might be a baby on CPAP and another one um, on ventilation as well. So that, you know, you didn't stop. You spent your 12 hours, our 12-hour shifts, you'd spend your 12 hours going from one baby to the next baby, one baby to the next baby, and then somebody would come and cover you for a break because you actually got breaks in intensive care, not for long and only one, but you still got them, Um, and you'd have somebody come and check drugs with you. So it was much more structured and much better, and I got all, and then after I'd been there a year, then you went on the course, and so I did that neonatal special and intensive care course um there were english national board courses and at the end of it my dissertation they said you need to now because you've got a high distinction um you need to take this and convert it into a master's so i didn't do that (laughs) i said oh lovely idea how long have i got to do that for do that in and they said oh you can do it anytime in the next year but you're the only one out of this cohort who's 
um, who can do it because of your marks across the course. I was like, oh, cool, that's. Um, except I'm off to Australia now. So when I get back in a year, I'll convert it into a master's. I'll do a master's. And they were like, great, you know, we'll see you in a year. So um, off I trotted to Australia to um, catch up with my then partner, soon to be husband. And, um, and at the end, towards the end of our time in Australia, no, midway at the time in Australia, we got married. And um, as luck would have it, or whatever you want to say it, on the wedding night I got pregnant. So, um, you know, those Catholic ovaries opening up, I guess. Anyway, so, <laughs> so of course, instead of, you know, working in Australia for a year, then going back to the UK and studying my master's and getting pregnant towards the end of my master's, um, it didn't really happen because I had a baby instead and came back, went back to the UK with a small baby, unable to work and unable to sort anything out, especially be able to do a master's with a baby that wanted to be awake all night. So I still carried on training and um, I ended up doing some community training there as well. And then, um, because I wanted to keep my registration, then we ended up in New Zealand. So we went to New Zealand and so our son was a baby when we got there. And so when I was, so it was a year, it was a year and a half when we left there and we came to Australia when he was two. So we got there when he was about a year, something like that. Anyway, so I did my, um, so I was working in research. And I learned tons in that research job. It was really good. It was so much fun. It was um, it was the final stage research. It was um, kidney, renal research, and it was drug research. And um, I learned to spin bloods. I learned so much in that job. It was great. Anyway, left there, ended up, from there we came to Adelaide, ended up in Adelaide. And, um, and then I did research here for a bit. Then I went back to the hospitals and went into theatres. So rather than back into neonates, because I'd done my time in Melbourne at the children's in neonates and I hadn't really enjoyed it there. It was one-to-one. It was much easier than working in the NHS. But at the same time, I didn't enjoy it. So I decided not to go back to neonates. And when I was here in Adelaide, I was back in theatres and then I thought I wouldn't mind doing community nursing so I trained to be a community nurse um, paediatric nurse because I had all this paediatric training I was working in paediatric recovery I was doing some shifts on in a research unit here as well as a nurse and I had a small um, small child and then I accidentally became a naturopath but that's another whole story the story today is all about paediatrics so um, okay, quick bit of the background story there as well. I wanted, I thought maybe I'll learn to do shiatsu massage. And I went to a college and said, do you teach shiatsu? And she said, oh, we don't teach that anymore. But nurses really enjoy herbs. So why don't you pop into that classroom? Because the herbal class has just started for the semester and listen in and see if you like it. So that part's history really, isn't it? So while I was doing that, I was also doing my... Um, community paediatric training so when I became a naturopath of course my children were young they were very young I had a baby baby in arms breastfeeding and um, a toddler running around and so then I started to you know I'd go to kindy I was going to childcare, and so I was meeting people with young children so I started seeing children because I've got this background in paediatrics so I started seeing a lot of children. There isn't a lot of training out there to work with kids in practice. So I sort of had to develop it. I mean, there is the paediatric training that you can do. Um, anyway, but that's an aside. We're talking about kids in practice. So 
we um, so I started working with children in practice and it was different you know everywhere that you are here's one of your tips everywhere that you are you have to have your working with children certificate and depending on the state territory or country there will be something else as well in South Australia the Department of Child Protection there's also another load of paperwork you have to fill out to have them um on the premises with you or to work with you so that that's more paperwork to fill out it's not just the working with children check and you do need to be mindful of that when you're working with children that there are lots of rules governing um, them coming into your rooms and what you can and can't do so working with children as you know what are you going to have you're going to have a toy box in there but you have to have two parts to your toy box because the under threes are going to have the big toys and you're going to be able to separate out the over three toys so we always have the toy box we're going to need to be able to measure them and weigh them easily so it might be if you've you know if you've got a baby you're using baby scales or you have adult scales so you weigh mum then you weigh mum holding the baby and then you take off the difference and that's the weight of your baby remembering that nappies that are wet weigh so we have to be careful that the baby doesn't have a full nappy when it's weighed because we want the difference okay the um the other thing is do you have facilities is there somewhere that mum can change a nappy now mums are happy to change nappies on the floor so as long as you have i have a wooden floor here so as long as you're not doing um, lush carpet or something and you've got a sheet or something you can throw over that if you have that they can put the baby on with the mat on top that's fine too you know what else have you got can they get the push chair in the doorway so I work from my front room so of course there's one small step coming onto my friend and there's one small step coming over the door and then you can direct a push chair into the front room with some of the bigger strollers they leave them on the front veranda and that's fine because you can see them from the front room I have a face that babies like so there's always smiles and all the rest of it when babies see me so I've always been lucky like that um, babies don't cry when they see me <laughs> there are certain holds you know when you're holding when you're getting mum to hold a baby so that you can look in an ear so mum will tuck the arm that's leaning against so she sits the child on it on its side on side onto her and the arm that would be pressed into her stomach she actually tucks under her arm so she can lock her arm down between her side over the baby's arm and around the baby then she can hold whichever other you know might be the top of the head so you can look at the ear um, it might be that you know there's a bit of skin or something that they want to show you it might be a throat that needs looking down a trick to seeing down a throat is to tickle the tummy lay the baby so the baby child is sitting on mum's lap and then lay the baby down over the, so the baby's head is forced backwards the mouth will open and you can look down the throat while they try and sit up but if mum's tickling the tummy then chances are you know or the chances are the head will be back and they won't be too worried about you looking down the throat if you can't look down the throat, then um, you can get mum to do that and take a photo for, you know, and you can have a look at the photo because modern cameras are amazing. When we're looking in ears, so you don't need to own an otoscope. They're expensive. They're really expensive. And um, when you're not looking in ears all the time, you can make a mistake. So it's important that if a child is complaining of earache, that they do go to the GP because GPs look in ears all the time. So there are some incredible resources on the internet there's one um, that I use a lot 
Um, I will try and find the link and pop it in the show notes for you. Hawker Library, he was called, but I'm not sure that it's actually available. So there's another link that I will try and find you to have a look. It's a bit like the skin one, you know, derm.net. I'll put that in as well. So that's an amazing resource for skin. Really, really important that you um, know about that one for skin conditions because I see a lot I mean it's ear nose and throat and skin with children the majority of the time that's you know 90% of the problems that I see so you know we've got to have that good gut health going on so we have to know what chewables there are on the market liquid herbs of course are great for kids um, it's all in the sometimes you know it's all in the way we're providing for the mum you know creams ointments gels um, I do like um, tinctures mixed into aloe vera I'm finding aloe vera gel I'm finding that absolutely brilliant um, so I get them to I mean it's five it's a bottom cream or something then no you wouldn't necessarily put it in the aloe vera but if they've got a rash or something or they're itchy then putting in the aloe vera cools the skin it cools the space and then you've got the herbs in it which actually breaks down the aloe vera slightly so that it doesn't create that film that we don't want um you know like in burn when I mean, you wouldn't put it on a burn anyway but if you were to put it on a burn it actually creates a film and stops the air getting to it or it stops it healing so we need to stop the air getting to a burn anyway but what I'm getting myself in a muddle here, aren't I? But what I'm saying is aloe vera makes a great receptacle for herbal tincture to be mixed in. It, when you're mixing it in, it takes in a greater amount. So with your cream, you are restricted to that 10%. With aloe veras, you can get up to 25% tincture in that mix, which just is wonderful because you can put in three or four herbs, which you can't do in a cream with only 10%. So just from and any old aloe vera will do. I mean, I do use the Australian organic aloe vera. Oh my gosh, I've got so many links that I have to put in the show notes now. <laughs> I hope I don't forget them all. Um, if I forget a link, please just email me and let me know, and I will make sure that I get it to you. Um, I'll put that in the in the show notes as well. Anyway, where were we? Working with kids. So working with kids. Oh, there is so much in my pediatric course and we really haven't got time to go through it all in a bite-sized podcast. Actually, that's a really good idea. Um, this weekend is Black Friday, isn't it? So um, you know what? I will put, um, I'll put a sale. Why not? I'll put a Black Friday sale on the pediatrics course for this coming weekend so that you, can, you actually get an opportunity if you want to, to, um, well, do it and do the course yeah I'll put a Black Friday deal on there I have been thinking what shall I do but this is perfect isn't it a perfect opportunity so one for everyone who wants to go through the pediatric course I mean there is so much information in there it's six weeks worth but I mean we actually have to have a break in the middle of it and you can do it any time you don't need to do it on the live round on the live round um, you get your questions answered but everyone gets a one-to-one with me so you can get your questions answered then anyway so yeah, we'll do a bit of a Black Friday deal. So um, outside of the live round. That wasn't intentional at the beginning of this podcast, but it is now. So I better go away and organize that so that you can, what do you reckon? I don't know, 40% off? I'll do a 40% off Black Friday deal. Or shall I do, yeah, 40% off. Why not? Worth it, hey? Okay. Oh, shall I do 50% off? Oh, Oh, you'll have to go and check it out. I will put the link in the show notes along with all of the other links that I've promised you. I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to this so I know which links I've promised you because there must be a ton by now. It's about four, I think. Okay, 
I will let you all go now. I hope you have an absolutely brilliant rest of day and please go and do check out the paediatric course while it's on its Black Friday deal, which is only this weekend. Yeah, 50% off this weekend. Why not? Um, Let's do it. I'll do it because you're listening. I'm doing it for you personally. So I hope you've had an absolutely brilliant listen. And um, I really look forward to catching up with you, maybe in the group or here on the podcast. Email me and I will speak to you soon. Have a good one. Cheers. Thanks so much for joining me today. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast for the weekly episodes. If you'd like even more support and learning, then the Academy is for you. Here you'll find part two of the herbal discussions, more clinical learning and case studies to support your clients in practice. Bye for now.